Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast for Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Madeline Hume and Susan Jabinski tell you what you need to know before investing in crypto. Patricia Wee and Susan Jabinski bust some 529 plan myths ahead of 529 College Savings Day. And Carol Hedorowicz shares six tips for college graduates. Let's get started. Here is Madeline Hume from Morningstar Research Services with Susan Jabinski from Morningstar, Inc. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Fidelity Investments recently announced that it will offer its employer-sponsored 401k plans the option to invest in Bitcoin. A few weeks ago, Morningstar launched a digital assets fund category. And many cryptocurrencies are trading well below their all-time highs. Is now perhaps the time to invest in crypto? Here to help answer that question is Madeline Hume. Madeline is a senior research analyst for Morningstar who recently published Morningstar's first cryptocurrency landscape report. Hi, Madeline. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Susan. So excited to be here. Now, there were a lot of interesting things that came out of your research. But one thing that really struck me and surprised me was that um, you say in your research that cryptocurrencies represent the fourth most popular type of investment among investors behind stocks, mutual funds, and bonds. How did that happen? Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story, Susan. Um, It really drills down to two basic elements, investor interest and a mild corporate adoption. So we see um, when crypto really takes off, the, the chart looks like basically a hockey stick. So for a long period of time, there was a gradual increase in investors showing a little bit more interest in cryptocurrency. And then there's an inflection point. And after that, it just really took off. Now, what was happening at that time? This was late, or this was early 2021, so this was still during the pandemic. People were at home, they were flush with cash from the stimulus. Uh, and you had companies like Tesla that were saying they're going to start adopting Bitcoin in their treasuries. One thing led to another, and all of a sudden you see retail interest really snowball into this kind of massive momentum event. So you have stories like NFTs taking off, you have decentralized finance uh, protocols really starting to soar. Uh, And when you combine that with the massive growth that some of these tokens have realized, it started as a snowball and now we have an avalanche. Now, in your research, though, despite the avalanche, you do say that investing in currency warrants, and I quote you, (laughs) extreme caution. So let's unpack that caution a little bit and some of the reasons for it. For starters, you point out that, you know, this is still a relatively new asset class. Mm -hmm. Um, So why is that something that should matter to investors? Why is that something that they should maybe be a little concerned about? That's because cryptocurrencies at this point just don't have a ton of use cases outside of the four corners of our brokerage windows. We're still figuring out how blockchain technology belongs in our everyday lives, and that is an ongoing and iterative process. Uh, It's, at this point, investor speculation about where it could go and and where these sort of technologies will start to take flight. Back in 2020, none of us were talking about NFTs or decentralized finance or any of these topics. So, you know, the market is evolving really quickly on a lot of these fronts. Um, So as things continue to develop within cryptocurrencies, it's really important to treat them as investments that are really kind of like an entrance fee to experiment with the technology um, and not so much like a stock or a bond with fundamental values that we can measure. Now, you also note that this asset class is highly concentrated. So what do you mean by that? And again, why is this something that investors should be aware of? 
So I talked about entrance fees and, and experimenting with the technology. A, a close example that cryptocurrencies have been compared to frequently is tech stocks. Um, a lot of times these technologies do have parallels to the tech boom that we had in the early 2000s. One way that um, that comparison is pretty apt is concentration, like you mentioned. Bitcoin and Ethereum alone take up more than 50% of the cryptocurrency market. Uh, and so when you have an asset class that is so dependent on one or two individual securities, that courts a lot of volatility. We see that with tech stocks too. I mean, if you, have, if you look at the FANG, when Netflix does poorly, the rest of the market suffers. So it's just something for investors to keep in mind. And then um, lastly, you note that this asset class is highly volatile, which we, of course, have seen a good deal of uh, this year and, and the end of last year, too. Um, but again, if you're a long-term investor, mm -hmm. is that volatility really bad? Who should be concerned about that volatility? Yeah, it's a great question. So when you look at volatility, um, when it really starts to matter is when you're drawing down your investments. So long-term investments like retirement, uh, you know, there's that accumulation phase. And during that accumulation phase, volatility matters as much, as frequently as you check your 401k, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Um, but once you start drawing down on those assets and selling out of them, that's when volatility really starts to matter. Investors can get spooked and they can sell at the wrong time and you can impair your capital that way. But even if you're making more regular withdrawals from your portfolio, treating it like a paycheck where you sell out a specific time each month, over time with extremely volatile assets, if you're selling during a market downturn, you can permanently impair your capital. Uh, this is called sequencing of returns risk and it's a reason that cryptocurrencies are an enemy of retirement portfolios. And then let's go back to the question that I sort of posed at the top of this video. Is now the time for investors to be considering cryptocurrency? And if it's a partial yes, you know, why is it partial? Who should be looking at it, if anyone, in your opinion, right now? You know, to be honest with you, Susan, with cryptocurrencies, we don't really know what a good time to be invested in is. It's still so early days with this kind of technology, and we don't have valuations the way that we do an equity investment or a bond. There is no floor for where the price can go. Uh, a lot of these assets could plummet to zero tomorrow. And, you know, before everything is said and done, there probably will be some assets that do die out. Um, and those investors will be left with nothing. They called it getting or holding the bag in crypto speak. So, um, you know, the Kentucky Derby was just last week. So when I think about crypto, I like to think of it more like a bet, right? We don't know which horse is going to come out on top. The best thing that investors can do when they're looking at these types of things is to hedge their bets. Well, thank you so much for your time, Madeline. This is a very popular topic right now, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you more about crypto as the landscape continues to evolve. Thanks. Thanks so much, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, here's Patricia Wee from Morningstar Research Services. Hi, I'm Susan Chabinski with Morningstar. 529 education savings plans are popular tools for saving for college. Yet despite that popularity, misunderstandings abound about them. Joining me today to provide some clarity on several 529 plan myths is Patty Wee. Patty is a senior analyst with Morningstar's manager research group. 
Hi, Patty. Nice, nice to see you. Good to see you, too. So um, one myth about 529 plans is that they can only be used to cover college tuition. But that's really only part of the story. What else can 529 assets be used to pay for? Yeah, so you're right. So definitely tuition and fees. It actually can also cover room and board. Um, and should you decide to live off campus, you can use 529 money to pay for those expenses up to what the college charges for room and board. So you can do that as well. And then 529 money can also be used for uh, books and your computer. And then the IRS has a, a list of what, the quali what other qualified expenses are. But that, those are the big categories and the big expenses. Okay. Now, in some states also, 529 plans can be used for some K through 12 expenses. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I mean, the federal government put that in one of their recent um, acts. And at the state level, not all states have agreed to this idea. And so what happens is that if you're in a state which, which does not allow that, what will happen is that when you take money out of your 529 and then use it to pay for a K-12 through private school tuition, it will not count as a qualified expense, and then you will be charged a penalty. Got it. Now, um, another myth, perhaps, is that investors are better off sticking with their own state-sponsored 529 plan because they're going to get some sort of tax benefit in doing so. But not all states offer a tax benefit, right? Right. right. So, yes, about a handful of states don't offer any tax, state tax benefit. And when we say tax benefit, we mean state income tax, so like a deduction on your um, when you're calculating your state income tax liability. So some states don't offer it. Some states, like Florida and Nevada, they don't have an income tax, so there's no benefit to offer. And then maybe about 30 states offer some kind of benefit. Um, but it's important to, um, to consider what the benefit is. So um, for one example, so Rhode Island, the maximum deduction you can take is $1,000. Um, so if you just kind of back of the envelope estimate, if you're a family, you make $100,000 a year, you file jointly, if you make a $1,000 contribution to a 529 account or a three, you can only deduct $1,000 and then given their tax rates, that's only a savings of like $50, which is not that significant. Um, other states have um, a higher limit on how much you can deduct and maybe if the state taxes are also higher, um, that same family contributing $3,000, maybe that's worth a couple of hundred dollars per year. So even though if your state does offer a, a tax deduction or a tax benefit, like you're talking about, are there reasons, there are reasons sometimes where you wouldn't even, nevertheless, you wouldn't stick with your state's plan. Right. So if the tax benefit is not attractive, but also you can look at the plan. So if the investment options are fairly mediocre, and then again, if the fees are really high, definitely you can... Um, consider looking at other plans. And Morningstar, we do rate over 60 plans. Um, some of the summaries of our ratings are available on our website. And if you're a subscriber, you can also look at the individual reports on the individual plans. Um, another myth is that there are contribution limits to 529 plans, which maybe change annually the way contribution limits change to IRAs or 401ks. But that's not the case, right? I mean, technically, when you contribute into a 529 account, it's considered a gift. So it's subject to the gift tax. And so the exclusion in 2022 is $16,000, and that is per beneficiary, per giver. So um, like I can give 16000 to son number one, I can give 16000 to son number two, and then if my husband wanted to, he can do the same, effectively doubling our gift. Um, if you were to go over the exclusion, it just counts against your lifetime exclusion, which is $12 million. 
So, Patty, another myth that some people believe is that 529 plans will get in the way of for how much um, financial aid uh, a child will qualify for. Is that true? Yes, this is a very popular question, and a lot of people are concerned about it. So, you know, when you want to apply for financial aid, you have to fill out the FAFSA form. And so what the, what, what the government does is that it evaluates how much the parents can contribute for your education. So they look at the parents' income. That is weighed most heavily in terms of, like, how, well, how much the parents can afford to pay for school. They also look at savings. That's weighed a lot less, and in that savings bucket includes 529, but also includes bank accounts and other investment accounts. Um, but the idea is that if you are going to be using savings to pay for the school, then it just makes a lot of sense to invest in a 529 account with the tax benefits. But overall, anything that you do to kind of reduce the potential need for more debt in the future will benefit the child in the future. And then lastly, some might think, okay, well, I've set up a, I want to set up a 529 plan, but I'm a little uncertain whether the beneficiary is going to pursue a college education, and then what happens to the money? Is it taxed? Is it gone? What happens? And that's not really the case. What are some things that can be done with 529 assets if, in fact, that beneficiary decides not to pursue sort of what people might think of as a traditional four-year college education? Right, yeah. So money disappearing, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Uh, so yes, um, you know, if the child maybe gets a full scholarship or decides not to go to school, there are options. The, um, the tax code is pretty liberal. You can change the beneficiary, and typically you can change it to another member of the family, and they are reasonably liberal where you can change it to another child, but you can also change it to a niece or a nephew, a cousin, and also spouses. Um, the list, the IRS has the list, but it's pretty, it's pretty um, broad in terms of who you can change it to. There's no tax liability. Um, for that change. Some, some might say that there's always the risk that the government will change the laws in the future and then you, you know, that would be a problem. That's not on the table right now, so it's not a concern at this moment. Great. Well, Patty, thank you so much for helping bust some of these 529 <laughs> myths. We appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Lastly, Carol Hedorowitz from Morningstar Inc. shares six pieces of advice for new graduates. Welcome to the real world, college graduates. Now comes the fun part, finding a job, paying student loans, and saving for retirement. I know what you may be thinking. That sounds like a hefty list. You don't have to tackle it alone. Here are six pieces of advice. First, don't compare yourself to others. Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, reminds us that even if our peers get a fast start, that doesn't necessarily mean they will end up ahead. Everyone's journey is different. Second, Start building your emergency fund. While you're living at home with your parents, it's the perfect opportunity to start saving up enough to cover basic expenses like food and rent. Third, invest in the market using a tax-sheltered account like an IRA or 401k plan. These early investments can add up over time. Fourth, play the long game. At Morningstar, we are all about investing for the long term. Set realistic expectations. Find a strategy that works for you during market volatility, like not checking your account balance. Fifth, invest in yourself as early as you can. You can continue your education in several ways, from pursuing a master's degree to earning additional certifications. Many employers may offer tuition assistance. You might get a boost in pay because of the additional training. Sixth, make time for what matters to you. 
Benz encourages college graduates to pay close attention to what she refers to as time on earth allocation. Find a balance with how you spend your time and money so that it brings you joy and does some good. This is personal for each graduate and it can change over time. Congrats class of 2022. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.